I want it all to make sense. Solomon's Search for Meaning. Open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Good luck finding it if you didn't bookmark it last week. you got to put something in there because it's a tough one to find. The series is called Solomon's Search for Meaning, and as you can tell, it's a total 80s vibe. You know, the logo and everything represents what would it be like today if, if like Solomon, if God showed up and said, hey, whatever you want, it's yours. Solomon asked for wisdom, and God said, I'll give you that and everything else. God said to Solomon, you're going to be the richest, wisest man on earth. If that person lived today, he'd be on the cover of every magazine. He would be able to speak in any university. He would be a total rock star. That's why it is called, I want it all. But guess what? He wanted it to make sense, and he wasn't doing so good of a job finding the meaning behind it all. Um, Disclaimer again, this sermon is kind of rated PG-13 because Solomon's dealing with some real things in life that he's thinking through. And last week when we kicked it off with the first full sermon in the series, we learned that life seems to be pointless because it is fleeting, because it's repetitive, because it doesn't satisfy, because we'll soon be forgotten. Therefore, Jesus alone gives life meaning and purpose because he came from heaven, is building an eternal kingdom, and he's making all things new, including us. Solomon's search for meaning uh, continues today. And I hope that you're taking the discipleship challenge. How many of you have picked up a discipleship challenge packet in the gym and you got started on it this week? Hey, if your hand is up, nudge somebody next to you and say, hey, start the challenge. Go ahead, give them, a little, give them a little elbow. In the gym, you can pick it up. It's a six-part challenge, and this is our way of saying, Lord, get us into this book and help us to learn it. You'll be richly rewarded. We've got t-shirts, and because it's an 80s theme, we've got a fanny pack. If you're one of the first 50 people to finish, you can pull a gift card out of the bucket, and there's gift cards up to 100 bucks, which is going to be a blessing. So get started. If your small group leader didn't mention the challenge in small group, I want you to get on them this week. Hey, we're doing the challenge together as a group. Come on. So the discipleship challenge has begun. I want you to know how this book is going to help you. So you can write down a few things. There's a note sheet in your bulletin, but jot this down. Solomon's search is going to help those who started with God but then wandered away from him. And maybe this is you. Maybe you had a Christian upbringing. You were raised in a Christian home. Uh, You learned Bible verses. You went to classes. You got confirmed. You started with God, but then you wandered off. God just isn't that important to you anymore. Church isn't that important. You're not really into that stuff. Solomon's search is going to help you. Jot this down. Those who are trying to live a worldly and a godly life at the same time. So ask yourself, is this you? Um, are, are you trying to, you come to church, yeah, sing the songs, yeah, read your Bible, yeah, but you're also doing very worldly things at the same time, sinful things that you know are going to make God upset. You're trying it both ways, which is exactly what Solomon was doing. If you're trying to live a worldly and a godly life at the same time, Solomon's search is going to help you. Jot this down. It'll help those who are walking closely with God, yet still battling feelings of futility and frustration. So look, there are those who are in a great relationship with God. You're doing it right, you know, and yet still at times you're going to feel like, is it working? Is it worth it? Things aren't going the way I thought. Why? John the Baptist even was like, I'll write a letter to Jesus. Are you really the Messiah? I'm kind of having second thoughts about following you. Like, it's normal to have these feelings at times. And God's search, Solomon's search is going to help you. And then uh, those who've never followed God but are searching for meaning. 
Solomon's search is going to help you. You never really knew God. You never knew how to know, know God. You didn't grow up in a church, but you're looking, you're looking, you're looking, uh, and Solomon's search is going to help you. Wherever you're starting, whether you wandered away, you're trying to do it both ways, worldly and godly, you're close to him, but struggling or you've never sought him, Solomon's search is going to help you. Let's pray, and then we'll get into Ecclesiastes chapter 2 together. Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. This book in particular, drilled down to the very roots of our motivation, our desire, and how we feel right now, I pray that you would help us to find a lasting source of joy, because Solomon couldn't, and help us to join him in his search and to find out what he discovered. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'd also recommend to you, if you want another resource, there's a book by Philip Ryken called Why Everything Matters, and it's the gospel in Ecclesiastes. I'm drawing very heavily from this and other commentaries, but a lot of what's getting into the sermon is coming right from his book. Uh, when it comes to Ecclesiastes, we are going to learn today four secrets to unhappiness. Four secrets to unhappiness. So um, I'm really going to make sure you know exactly how to live an unhappy life. Get your pen ready, because you're going to want to learn these lessons. The first one comes from last week, chapter 1, verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Uh, jot this down. How to be unhappy. Number one, excel in your own knowledge and virtue. Excel in your own knowledge and virtue. Uh, get that degree or two. Know a lot more than most other people. Know things that kind of give you an advantage in life and help you to make the right choices. And pride yourself on what you know and arrange your life according to your knowledge. And Solomon says it won't work. He was literally the smartest on the planet. And after all of his knowledge, after all that he knew, he realized a few things about the limitations of knowledge. He realized you can't know it all. There's never-ending things to learn. And uh, he also learned that no matter if you know the right way or not, there are people around you who don't care. And unfair and unjust things will happen to you, and people will do things that you can't understand. And he's like, this knowledge thing didn't do it for me. If you're building your life, if you pride yourself on knowledge, guess what? It will leave you unhappy. Jot this down. If you want to be unhappy, rely on your own understanding. Rely on your own understanding. You getting more knowledge, you reading the next book, you getting this thing figured out. I know where this is going. I know where the world is heading. I know how this is going to turn out. I know, I know, I know. It's going to backfire. Now, the Bible commends knowledge Seek it like silver, search for it like hidden treasure. I'm not saying there's no benefit. I'm saying it won't work. It won't give you lasting security or happiness. You're building a house of cards, right? That it's going to fall over one way or another. If you rely on your own understanding, especially to the exclusion of God or revelation, you won't find happiness. It's a dead end. Here's a picture of one of the biggest libraries on earth, the Oxford Library. I got to visit there for a few days because of a conference. We were passing through, so we stopped by, took the tour. They said, what's amazing is not only is Oxford the foremost center of learning in the world, but they've built one of the largest libraries under the city. The city stands atop the 
the total of human uh, knowledge, the books underneath the city, the library, there's a train underneath that takes you to the book you want to get to. Uh, miles and miles and miles of books. Here's another picture of a library there. 12 million books at the library. And maybe to you it's like, take me there. I love reading. I'll just sit and learn and learn and learn. Guess what? If you want to read all the books in the Oxford Library, even if you're a fast reader, it would take you 600 lifetimes to get through them all. You can't know what there is to know. You are inherently limited. You can't know. And so your search, while commendable, will ultimately be short-lived. And the there will be so much more that you don't know despite your best efforts to learn. The Library of Congress has 40 million books, three or four times the amount of Oxford. Good luck! In other words, if you rely on your own understanding, it won't lead you to lasting happiness or security. Jot this down. Try to be a good person. See, knowledge and wisdom involves virtue. Wisdom means doing the commendable thing. So Solomon didn't just want book smarts. He wanted to know the right way to live, the way that leads to, you know, fairness and equity. He wanted to know virtue and wisdom. That's commendable too. Maybe you want to know the best way to handle this thing that's in life, and you want other people to know, look, this is how this is going to turn out best, and um, that's called virtue. That's called being a good person. And here's the thing, doing the right thing, maybe even trying to surpass others in being good, you will only deceive yourself. Because Solomon knew that despite his best efforts to do the right thing, there's a big part of him that wanted to do the wrong thing. He did the wrong thing a lot, even though he knew it was the wrong thing. You'll do that too. Why have I been such a fool again? You will thwart yourself in trying to do what you know is right. And good luck telling everyone around you the best way to live. You think they're going to listen to you? Despite your best effort to control your world by knowledge, they don't care what you know. And so he threw up his hands, and he's like, in much wisdom, there's much vexation. Who can figure it all out? And people don't even care about doing the right thing anyway. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Hey, is this what you're building on? Are you trusting your knowledge, your mind? You're going to figure it out. Are you building on that? Listen, everything you know will soon be buried in the sands of time. It will not last Even if it's working for you for now, it won't for long. And in the end, it all goes away. We can only know in part in this life. Soon we will know in full. We have to have our mind in its proper place. Solomon was trying to figure that out. How to be unhappy? Number one, excel in your own knowledge and virtue. Rely on your own understanding and try to be a good person. It won't work in the end. Solomon said in chapter 2, verse 1, So I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Wisdom didn't work. Moving on. And he's kind of having a little self-talk here. Do you ever talk to yourself when you're in the car, when you're home alone? If you have pets, do you talk to your pets? You know, there's a little conversation going on. He's talking to himself here. He's like, all right, you're not happy because of knowledge. Not happy because of wisdom. Fine, we'll get out of the library and we'll go live it up. Let the good times roll. It's party time test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. Instead of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what is it? 
I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. It's not working. In chapter 1, verse 8, he said, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear is filled with hearing. There's nothing new under the sun. So, jot this down. Number two, if you want to be unhappy, the second secret to unhappiness is indulge all of your senses. Indulge, indulge all of your senses. He says in verse 10, I kept my heart from no pleasure. I want it. I take it. I see it. It's mine. There it is. I got it. And he could do it. He wanted it all. Uh, indulging your senses is a fast track to unhappiness. Today, we have access to so much high-end stimulation for our senses, and I want to be careful so that we know how to apply this. Solomon is not specifically saying um, that it's bad uh, to look at things that are desirable or beautiful. It's not bad what we see with our eyes. He's saying it just doesn't work. It won't lead to lasting satisfaction. Uh, is this a good time to make sure that what you're putting in front of your eyes is pure and blameless? Yes, because it will only compound your misery if you're looking at things you're not supposed to be looking at. But that's not the main point. The main point is the eye is never done seeing. It wants more. I'm not happy still. The senses will not give you lasting joy. Let's talk about our eyes. Jot this down. Indulge your eyes and it'll lead to unhappiness. There's never enough of seeing, seeing screens, scenes, going to a place, seeing the Rockies, going to see the ocean, seeing the canyon, traveling, and oh, my eyes have seen wonder and beauty, and then it's over. And then what? Then you got to book the next trip to keep the eyes full. Screens, there's so much we could watch. And at any point, do you tell your eyes, all right, that's it. You've seen enough. You should be happy by now because of all that has come in, eyeballs. You know, on Netflix, there are 5,000 things, different things right now you can watch. 5,000, a feast for your eyes. Do you know if you wanted to watch everything on Netflix, just how much is available for our eyes? It would take you 256 round-trip trips to the moon and back. 256 round-trip tickets to the moon to watch everything on Netflix. Do you know how much the eye can see? And Netflix doesn't put out a statement saying, you know what, we've actually done it. We've given you all that your eyes want. And once you watch all of this, then you'll be happy. No! They keep cranking out the new things because the eyes are never done. That's the point. I like when the CEO of Netflix said, we cure boredom. I'm like, you create boredom. Stop. I sit in place and get zoned in and I'm hypnotized and I'm like, oh my goodness, how long was I here? Cure boredom, please. There's so much we can see. And listen, I'm not, hear me clearly, I'm not saying it's bad to watch yeah, there's good stuff on Netflix. There's documentaries or baking shows. You become better at cooking. There's good stuff, but it won't make you happy. It will never be enough. It'll never end. Your eyes will always want more. Yes, this is a good moment 
to realize that we can sin with our senses. And maybe this is a moment where you have to search your heart. If you are using screens to ignore God, all right, maybe you need to repent. I'm not reading my Bible because I wake up and I'm doom scrolling through reels for three hours before I go, oh, wait, was I supposed to read my Bible? If you're ignoring God, then it's a sin. If you're offending God with what you're watching, it's a sin, okay? And it is important to camp on this for a moment. Uh, When it comes to filling your eyes with what is impure, we do have to repent of that. Uh, It's not only going to be pointless, but it's going to be painful if we don't. One porn site reported in 2019 that that one site that they had 3.5 billion views. How many people are on earth? They had 3.5, one site, billion views. The eyes, the eyes, the eyes. 30% of all data transferred across the internet is pornography. The eyes, the eyes. And listen, yes, if you are filling your eyes with filthy, worthless, and look, look, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't look at porn, but the stuff you watch on Netflix is porn. Let's face it. I don't care what it's rated. You shouldn't be watching it. We all have to guard our heart. Maybe you do need to repent this morning, and maybe you do need to say, why am I filling my eyes with this nonsense? Number one day of the week to watch porn? Sunday. Number one day of the week. Today. It's porn day, right? Maybe you need to repent of that, but I want to be clear, that's not the point Solomon's making. He's not like, well, I'm going to start looking at better things. He's like, my eyes never stop asking. Let's go here now. Let's go look at this now. That's great. I need something new. It's something new. It's never over. You know this is true. I know this is true. The craving of the eyes, and look, if we indulge our senses in a way that's wholesome or sinful, it's not going to work. It doesn't lead to lasting happiness. The eyes, let's talk about the ears. Jot this down. If you indulge your ears, it's not going to make you happy. Solomon talks here uh, in verse 8. He says, I got singers, both men and women. Now look, this is 1000 BC, okay? There was no Alexa play Freebird. You know what I'm saying? It's, uh, it's like Judah get the harp, okay? You wanted music, you needed the musician and the instrument in the room. That's how you got music, okay? That's it. And maybe if a family was lucky, they had somebody who learned the tambourine in school. Like, all right, we're not talking like in your home you could enjoy music. Music was a luxury. Solomon had his own record label. Do you see why the theme is this like rock star guy? Like if he was alive today, he would have a record label. He would have some of the most famous pop artists. He would have them at his parties. He'd be on Rolling Stone magazine. He was the top of the top of the top of the human pyramid. And imagine if you could be there. And then you weren't happy. I got all these, I got these musicians. Look, she's American Idol. She's the best in the land. It's good. But now, I don't know. I'm just, I'm bored again. Louis C.K. last week, did you see that sermon, Comedian, where he's like talking to Conan O'Brien. He's like, you know that thing, that thing in here, that the big emptiness, the like, I'm lonely. And Conan's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, like life is sad. He's trying to tell everybody how life is sad. And he's a comedian. 
Solomon's trying to say the same thing. Look, I've got all this stuff, and it's, my ears are full with the best music, and it's not doing it. Spotify has 70 million songs you could listen to. Do you know how spoiled we are? Do you know how spoiled we are? 70 million, you can listen to anything you want. And they keep making more because it's not enough. 2.9 million podcasts are waiting for you. There's so much that can be heard, but it's never-ending. It's all part of a cycle of futility and frustration. That's his point. It's not bad to listen to a podcast. It doesn't work. It doesn't last long. It keeps going around and around and around, and then that gets old, and then that gets old, and then that gets old, and, and I'm not happy still. Indulge all of your senses. Indulge your eyes. Indulge your ears. He talks about comedy, laughter. This comes up again, and we'll camp on it, but it's worth saying in passing that comedians often try and tell us about their depression. Uh, Robin Williams got a picture here of his star, um, Funniest Man Alive for so long, and um, tragic ending. They're doing a, I think CBS is putting out a new documentary on him. Um, they, there was a book released about his last days. He, he got diagnosed with Parkinson's, but it was actually something else. His brain was breaking down. He's filming the night at the museum, that last one. Coming home from the studio, where he's in a movie, sobbing, sobbing, uncontrollably. What's wrong? What's wrong? And he was losing his ability to control his body. He was losing his ability to control his mind. But he said, I can't be funny anymore. I can't be funny anymore. I, I don't know how to do it. And that was that. That was it. It worked for a while. Comedy works for a while, but it doesn't work. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't work. It doesn't last in the end. Ears, jot this down, the mouth, food, drink, party time. He says, I searched my heart, how to cheer my body with wine. Maybe, maybe that's you right now. Maybe it's your mouth where you're trying to escape. You're trying to transcend. You want the richest food. You want the best steak. You're going to go on the Napa wine tour. The finer things in life, food and drink in particular, it's like we spend all this money and then tomorrow comes and it's like, yeah, what do you, what do you want to do for lunch today? Yeah, money runs out. And, and the more you eat, the more you drink. Actually, the bigger problem you have. Am I right? You know, like the more you try and feed you in this way, the more of you there is to take care of. I mean, let's face it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And the things we can put into our mouth, this is again not the point of the sermon, but you can put things into your mouth that are sinful. Why am I getting drunk to drunkenness? Why am I smoking that? Uh, right? Why am I eating that to try and achieve an altered state that I know God forbids? Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Why am I doing with my mouth what I know is not wholesome and upright? And I'm hiding it from people, and I've got this addiction. Why, why, why? Because I'm trying to have it both ways. Sing and worship God and go to church and put things in my mouth that are sinful and leading me to an escape state that I know is wrong. Why are you doing that? Because you think it's going to take you to a happier place. And listen, it's not. Maybe you do need to repent today of something you're putting in your mouth that is a sin and you know it and you're multiplying your pain, your integrity's gone. Maybe you do need to repent of that. That's not the main point of the message here, though. The main point is indulging your senses to dead end. It's not going to last. Number one, excel in your own knowledge and virtue. Number two, indulge all your senses. Those are two secrets to unhappiness. Do you want the next two? 
<laughs> Here they come. Number three, build your own legacy. Build your own legacy. So that didn't work. Next. Next. Why am I so unhappy? Next. Number four, I made great works. I built houses. Here come Chip and Joanna. Build great houses, the fashion, the accessories, planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. He's trying to replant Eden here. Do you see that? Do you notice that man operating life according to the knowledge of good and evil and wisdom looking for life? Do you see Eden in this? He can't find the tree of life. Do you see that? Do you see that? He's trying to replant Eden and he can't do it. Made pools for myself to water the forest of growing trees. Still not happy. Great works will not make you happy. Uh, we have a picture of Solomon's uh, temple. He built the temple uh, for the Lord on the right, which was great, but then he spent twice as long building his palace. Yeah, I'll build God a temple, and then I'll take twice as long building my palace. His princess gets a palace. He's got a forest palace. He's got all. He's decking himself out. He's really worried about his own kingdom. That's the point. He wants it both ways. He really wants to build his own empire, his own name, his own kingdom. He's very selfish. Uh, his palace area is on the left. And that's really where the action is. And it's not working. Have you seen the musical The Greatest Showman? Have you seen that, The Greatest Showman? Uh, it's got it's about a circus. It's got Wolverine in it, but he doesn't use his claws. Anyway, there's a song in that that I think reflects Solomon's heart. Check it out. Here's that song. Oh, the shine of a thousand spotlights. Solomon saw that, he'd be like, it's so true, it's so true, like I'm my palace and I'm not happy. I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking it too. Boo-hoo, stop your whining, Solomon, you got, you've got gold, and you've got like, the last thing we need is more celebrities complaining about how their life is hard. Am I right? Last thing you need is an influencer complaining about her trip to Hawaii, not going to Hawaii, blah, 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 I don't care. And it's easy to dismiss him. But look, his, he is, his cry is desperate. Okay? And, and we're the same. We're saying the same thing he is. So we're not supposed to dismiss this. You try to build your own legacy, it's not going to work. Jot this down. You can achieve great works. I don't know what that means to you. Impressive resume. This will surely last. This will make me happy. This will fill me up. Now I'll feel like a somebody. I don't know what that is. I don't know what your empire is. I don't know what you want to build. There's a lot of things that we would consider a great work. It's different for every person. Um, me in the spotlight. This is happening way too much in the church world. Men, women, using the church to build their own empire. No. Okay, the bride of Christ loves one man. Jesus. Too many people today want the bride of Christ to love them. All right, the bride of Christ is a rugged woman, and any man or woman who tries to put their coat on her or get her to love him, she will shake you off and make you pay because she belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Too many empire builders in the church today, and the church has been ravaged by them 
because they want their kingdom and they're willing to use the church to do it. Achieve great works. Jot this down. Acquire massive possessions. Acquire massive possessions. Uh, he says, I, in verse 7, had great possessions of herds and flocks. More than any, He'd owned the best restaurant chain. More than any who had been before in me in Jerusalem, I also gathered for myself silver and gold, the treasures of kings and provinces. There, an economist did the math here because it says how much gold and silver he was importing. In today's dollars, the estimate of Solomon's peak net worth is uh, between two and three trillion dollars. Richer than the richest today. He's not happy. You need that purse. You need that next accessory. You need that car. Please hear me. I'm not saying that having something is the point of this sermon. Sure, you might want to do a spot check. Do I have too much? Am I really setting my heart on this? Is money too much of a big deal for me? Like all of that is important for you to gauge. Not the point of the sermon. The point of the sermon is it doesn't matter. It's not going to work. You can literally have it all. Everything on earth can be yours. The temptation of Christ. Bow to me and it'll all be yours. And Jesus was like, get away from me. Get away from me. Why? Because he's got that coming already. Satan was trying to early delivery. It's all he can promise you. Faster delivery. Whatever he offers you, he's already here. He's already coming. He's just got faster delivery. And there's a whole lot of pain in the box. Massive possessions. I'm reading a book called Affluenza. Affluenza. Uh, when too much is never enough. It's all about how it tracks the history of, our, uh, of everyone's determination of what luxury is and how much more luxury we need to be happy. And it kind of exposes how advertisers, they never want you to feel like you've arrived. Like they'll show you a picture of your life and then frowny face. How could you be happy? And they'll circle what you're missing. Okay, well, I guess I'll buy that. And then within a little time, they'll be like, oh, but you don't have the newest version of that, or you need that plus this, or they can't ever announce you've made it, ever. And it's funny, there's stories about how the richest of the rich are really upset because only the rich could get the gold card in the past. Now anyone can get the gold card. I want a platinum card. Now anyone can get the platinum card. I want a titanium card. They want to go higher and higher and higher to leave you in the dust. Affluenza. And look, the whole system is set up for that. They need that to be true. They write in the book saying this, we are urged to aspire to a better, slimmer, richer, more sophisticated ideal self. And that ideal self is increasingly an exterior one. It's all about the outside. A better you. And if we fall for the lie, we're going to want more, 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 more. And uh, imagine if your net worth was $2.5 trillion dollars and you woke up and looked at the mirror and said, it didn't work. It didn't, it didn't work. It didn't work. What then? Jot this down. You can command a great workforce. Achieve great works, massive possessions. He's got a great workforce. This is sinful. He's got all these slaves working for him. It says here, I all gathered for myself singers, both men and women, many concubines, the delights of the sons of man. I bought male and female slaves, verse 7, slaves born in my house. A couple of ways to explain this. This is clearly wrong. God condemned kings who would acquire these servants, take many wives. God condemned it, but God allowed it. Many things in the ancient world and in the modern world, God allows. 
but doesn't endorse. Why would Solomon do this? Well, building his family was building his government. Okay, the family was the government, monarchy, so the thought was more wives, more kids, more government. That, that's the way it worked. Foreign wives would come in, they would have kids, and that formed international partnerships. So it was a lot of government. We don't understand that in our country because we don't have a monarchy, right? That was part of it, but part of it too was he wanted what he wanted. He wanted what he wanted. He wants 700 wives, take 700 wives. Want 300 concubines, take 300 concubines. You know, the wives and the concubines, and just uh, they're all mine, or however many there were. That's what he was thinking. He got a great workforce, not happy. Not happy. So if you build your legacy, it won't fill you up. Tom Brady, after he won three Super Bowl rings, did an interview. Surprise. Check it out. Here's what he said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's we, the answer? I wish I knew. We can cut it there. I wish I knew. <laughs> 27. <laughs> confetti. 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 Stadium full of people of cheering for him. Not enough. Not enough. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Go ahead. Build your legacy. It's not going to work. Uh, three secrets to unhappiness so far. Excel in your own knowledge and virtue, indulge all of your senses, build your own legacy. And number four, here's the last one. If you're not unhappy yet, here it comes. Enjoy forbidden relationships. Enjoy forbidden relationships. He says here he had many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Between his wives and his concubines, he had a thousand sexual partners. Thousand sexual partners. Was he happy? No, he was not. Uh, now, this is obviously sin. His many foreign wives ultimately cost him his kingdom. That was the biggest thing God was upset about. He allowed them to worship false gods, sacrifice to false idols. This was a big no-no. Uh, it led to a civil war. It led to a divided kingdom. Hundreds of years uh, of... Uh, a lot of people died over this because of his folly. It turned his heart away from God. So, um, sex is not going to satisfy you. If it does, it won't be for long, and in the end, it won't work. And yet, so much of what we are told is it's in the relationships that we find. Finding the right person or just finding many people, that'll make me happy. No, it won't. So jot this down. Um, if you chase lustful passions outside of marriage, that won't make you happy. Solomon models this for us. It's what not to do. It's what not to do. Chasing lustful passions outside of marriage. Uh, if you don't know your Bible, I'll make it clear. God's will is um, plain, so he wants you to wait to have sex until you're married, not before, not engaged, not living together. He wants you to wait to have sex until you're married. Sex outside of marriage is sin, so if you're indulging in that lustful passion, God wants you to repent of that this morning. He wants you to turn away from that. That won't make you happy, okay? You, you have to believe what I'm saying is true or you won't repent. You're, you're adding unhappiness to your life, if you're indulging in these lustful passions outside of marriage. Uh, marriage is a fire that's meant to be contained in a fireplace, surrounded by the promise that people make. Anything outside of it, you might as well be throwing matches on the carpet. Okay, oh, things will get hot in that house until the whole thing burns down. It will leave your life colder. I'm trying to pull you back from the pain that, listen, that you are promised in Scripture. If you're sinning sexually, please repent today. 
and turn away from that. But that's not the point. Solomon is saying, I had so much of this and it didn't work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You can't base your joy on this. It'll backfire. Even if you do it right, it won't last. You can't build your happiness on it. Gene Simmons is the lead singer of KISS. Is anyone brave enough to admit if you've seen KISS in concert? Who, has anyone seen KISS in concert? You've got three or four hands up. All right, godless group, please hear me. I'm not commending anything about what I'm about to share with you, but there is going to be a point. Gene Simmons took pride in his wall of sexual conquest, 5,000 polar, 5,000, Solomon had 1,000, 5,000 pictures on his wall of women he'd slept with. It's pride and joy. And then he announced that it's time to marry his girlfriend after 28 years in 2011. And the world said, what? Been dating a former Playboy model and had two kids with her and she and her heart couldn't take it anymore. And she said, kids went to college and she said, look, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And he goes, he says in his own words, he had a come to Jesus moment. What? Get ready. Here was his epiphany. You ready for this? Am I going to die alone surrounded by strippers? No! He said, I looked at myself, didn't see what I had become, didn't like it, and said, it's time to grow up. And he married her. Now look, his reasoning is completely deplorable. Here's my point. My point is not to commend him. My point is, what did he realize? It's time to grow up. And did 5,000 women make him happy? Did they? Did they? No. Not happy. Not happy. Solomon does this often too. He looks over at the guy with one wife having a good meal after a hard day's work and he goes, that guy's on to something. I want to I be him. See how we're all wrestling with this? Chase lustful passions outside of marriage. Jot this down. Bind yourself to those who don't love or fear God. Solomon married poorly. Uh, this is a forbidden relationship, so you're supposed to marry somebody who shares your faith. If you get saved or find yourself in a marriage with someone who doesn't share your faith, that's fine. God wants you to stay married and to enjoy that marriage, and he can do great things in it. But he doesn't want you to marry somebody who doesn't share your faith. And these wives turned his heart from God. And so Solomon models for us that that's a giant mistake when you put your attraction to someone physically over your attraction to them spiritually. Big mistake. It will not lead to happy places. Uh, so if you enjoy forbidden relationships, build your own legacy, indulge all of your senses, uh, and excel in your own knowledge and virtue, you're not going to be happy. Now, if I was mean, I would just say, amen, sermon's over. But I'm nice. I want to give you some good news, all in favor of good news. Uh, whatever, whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, verse 10, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, it was vanity, a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Well, then what hope do I have? Uh, what will lead me to happiness? Jot this down. The good life is found in Christ alone. What Solomon failed to discover, Jesus had to bring down from heaven. The good life is found in Christ alone. 
I really want you to not miss the point. If, if you're just like, well, he shouldn't have been wanting those things anyway, right? That, no, that's not the point. Here's the point. I really want you to get this. I really, really, really want you to get this. He wanted everything on earth, all of it, and he couldn't find happiness. And God wanted him to want more than the world could offer him. More. This isn't about living on less. This isn't about, well, maybe I won't order that appetizer today. Look, nothing on earth will make you happy. And as Christians, we want more than all of it. God wants you to want more than this world has to offer. Well, where can I find that? Jesus Christ who came down from heaven. He is more than the sum total of everything the world is promising you. Jesus alone can give you the good, lasting life. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, what does God have waiting for me up in heaven? A tic-tac pleasure forever. Some people act like heaven's going to get a one-star rating. You want to know what gets a one-star rating? Your life right now, one star. What half a star compared to what heaven can offer you? There's nothing here for us apart from what God is planning for us. Jot this down. He alone makes pleasure pure and lasting. He alone makes pleasure pure and lasting. He wants you to have joy forever. He doesn't want you to bind yourself up in things that can be destroyed. That's the point. He's got better for you, not worse. And it's pure and it will last forever. If you are struggling in an area of repentance, I've got to tell you right now, the first lie you're believing is that this is better than what God has for you. And listen, you've got to come to the reality that it is a lie. You're believing, you're being duped. It's not better. God's way is better. Jot this down. He satisfies your soul no matter what you have or you don't have. You can be happy. You have it? Great. All right. You don't have it? Oh, well. Either It's not about not having things. It's about where your joy comes from. He satisfies your soul no matter what you have or don't have. Great thinkers have commented on this. Check it out. Here's C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, He who has God and everything else is no more than he who has God only. Oh, you have God and everything? Well, bravo, I've got God and nothing, and I'm just as happy as you. See how it doesn't matter what you have? If you have God... All right, here's the next one by Tozer. Great quote. The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him, or if he's allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go one after one, he'll scarcely feel a sense of loss. For having the source of all things, he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing. For now he has it all in one. And he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. Only in Christ do you have it all. All of it. He satisfies your soul no matter what you have or don't have. And jot this down. He prepares your place in his eternal kingdom. He said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. What do you want? New car, new house, a new job. Big deal. That's it. That's it. That's it. How small is your request 
I don't know about you, I want a brand new universe, and I want a new heaven, and I want a new earth, and I want no pain, and I want to see Jesus with my own eyes, and I want the city to be made out of jewels and gold on the streets, and I want to live there forever. That's what I want. Is that what you want? I want it all, forever. I want all of that. Don't throw in a free car. Who cares about that where I'm going? See, if you've got the gold of heaven in your pocket, you don't need to chase nickels down here. You don't need to. He prepares your place in his eternal kingdom. He is better. He's better. You don't need success and stuff and servants and sex and virtue and book knowledge or degrees or great works or Super Bowl rings or Grammy awards or 5,000 Netflix programs or 70 million songs and 2.09 million podcasts on Spotify and a two and a half trillion dollars. You don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. You got it all forever. Live like it. Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has, can you say this honestly? Nothing I desire beside you. Let's pray. Jesus, we honestly can't say that. Earth has nothing we desire. Lord, we have so many desires, so many needs. You promised so many great things here. You promised to be with us, to provide for us food, shelter, clothing, spiritual family around us. Solomon knew it. If we walk wisely, you'll bless us. Lord, we delight in walking with you down here, but this world is going to roll up like a scroll soon. It's just a tent. It's just a tent. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us to look above. Help us to look at heaven and what you've <clears throat> prepared for us and to not set our minds on earthly things. Lord, forgive us for our fruitless pursuits down here, for setting our hearts on things that won't satisfy. And anyone who has felt the conviction of conscience today, I pray that they would repent. If they are truly chasing after things in a sinful way and if they're, if they're truly despising you and rejecting you and ignoring you, may they turn back now. It's hard enough doing things the right way when this world doesn't satisfy. May they not compound the problem. Forgive them. Give them your grace. Wash them. Free them. Set them on solid ground. And Lord, help us again to realize that our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there. We're not trying to replant Eden down here. We're not trying to rebuild Babel down here. You've prepared so much better for us there. Jesus, you are the King of kings, and we can't wait for you to return. What amazing things you have promised us, you have stored up for us. Help us to fear you, to love you, to let the whole world know that you are our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.